0: You're tuned in to Vintage McCoy. I'm Rick Brown, filling in for Rob, and we are giving you four installments. This is the third edition to the Children's Health Defense Program with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his team that I was a part of two weeks ago. And it was a two and a half hour conference that it's the content is so important. I wanted to bring it to you people and to share with you the, the goodness of all the information from an insider that knows how to get it out to us. And uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been fighting this fight and he's now rolling out a a greater organization to protect children from the vaccination injuries that are going on, and he's being maligned here and there, and I just want you to know that uh, it's a tough call to call him out when he's got the data and the facts because you will see him soon in a court of law where he is fearless. So enough of me, you want to get to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and this thing kicks off on the tail end of Big Pharma getting an exemption from any liability back in 1989 from the government and it gave them a blank check to do whatever they wanted without repercussions. Check this out.
1: In the spirit of God, moved upon the face of the waters. And
0: God said, let there be light. Together, we will make America great again. Okay. I have never been more hopeful about America. And the people who knocked these
1: buildings down will hear all of us soon. The advance of human, human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. you believe in miracles But because of the Watergate matter, I shall resign the presidency, effective at noon tomorrow. One small step
0: for May all of God's be able to sing with
1: new meaning, my country's tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. We shall pay any price, bear any dirt, uphold any foe, to ensure the survival
0: and the success of liberty. It is indeed we are the defenders of freedom. With the
1: unfounding determination of our people, we
0: will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Those who forget the past are destined to defeat
1: vaccines start coming online beginning in 86 by 91 the, ex- the schedule had exploded and by 1995 we started seeing an explosion of chronic disease in our country what do I mean by chronic disease? I mean three principal categories neurodevelopmental disorders and if you are anywhere near my age you will understand it as I'm talking to you that prior to 1989, we didn't know about any of these diseases. We never saw any of them. And by the way, I was raised on the spear tip of the movement for rights for people with intellectual disabilities. My aunt Shriver founded Special Olympics. It was originally called Camp Shriver. And I worked in there from when I was eight years old, every weekend as a hugger, as a coach when I was in high school because the DNA in my family was all about caring for people with intellectual disabilities. I spent 200 hours in Wausauk for the Retarded in upstate New York. Um, And I just was around this issue my entire life and people. I have never seen somebody my age who has full-blown autism. To this day, never. We never saw kids, when in the 80, 70s and early 80s, we never saw any child like this. We, we prided ourselves on being able to care for every child, no matter how severe their disabilities. We had people, kids were essentially vegetative. We figured out ways that we could put them on a bench and get them to push a bean bag off the, and everybody would cheer for them, and it was wonderful. We could not have handled an autistic kid with the screaming, the biting, the violence, the head banging, um, the, the sensitivity, the intense, painful sensitivity to touch, to light, to sound. We never saw a child like that. And today, I've never seen anybody my age, you don't see 66-year-old men walking around the mall wearing diapers and football helmets and head-banging, toe-walking, stimming, engaging in stereotypical behavior there, You know, there's, there's asperges. You know, we all know somebody's quirky uncle. But full-blown autism, no. And yesterday, the latest statistics for autism came out. And they come from New Jersey, from the CDC. And it's 12% of boys, more than 1 in 10, 12% of boys. Half of those are full-blown autistic of the kind that I just described. And by the way, the reason you don't see those people is not because they're locked up somewhere. There is no place for people like that. They just don't exist. Nobody knew what autism was in this country in 1988. That's when Rain Man came out and everybody was, oh, I've never heard of it before. And But the Congress said to CDC, tell us what year of autism, the, the epidemic started. And CDC scientists came back and said, it's a red line, 1989. And that's the year the schedule exploded. And but it wasn't just autism. It's ADD, ADHD, speech delay, ticks, Tourette's syndrome. Never heard of it when I was a kid, narcolepsy, ASD, and autism. The allergic diseases, peanut allergies, food allergies, eczema, never heard of it. I have 11 brothers and sisters, 77 first cousins. <laughs> never knew anybody with a food allergy. Five of my seven kids have food allergies. You know, we know it's an environmental toxin. Genes do not cause epidemics. They may provide a vulnerability, but you need an environmental toxin. You have to. So, and there's a limited number of things it could be. It could be. In fact, there's a famous scientist a toxicologist who I've used as an expert in many of my lawsuits named Phil Landrick and, and in New York and Mount Sinai. And he said he did a, a study that you can look up. And I think he said there's 11 things this could be according to the timeline. It could be glyphosate, which is Roundup, which is in all the foods. So it became ubiquitous in the 90s and early 2000. Um, Neonicotoid pesticides, PFOAs, which is a flame retardant, ultrasound, which again became ubiquitous on that timeline, cell phones and Wi-Fi, um, microwave ovens, a couple of other things. There's a limited number. You have to think of something, an exposure that occurred in 1989, It affected every demographic from Key Biscayne Cubans in Key Biscayne, Miami, to Inuit in Alaska. Hit them all at once. And affects boys on a 4 to 1 ratio to girls. There are very few things that do that. And mercury is one. Aluminum is one. And those things were in those exposures. And by the way, because I have kids with food allergies, I helped found the biggest food allergy initiative in the world. It's called, food allergy. Now it's called Food Allergy Network. It was called Food Allergy Initiative. And we've raised about $100 million to treat food allergies. The scientists who we brought in do not try to figure out where they're coming from. They try to figure out how to treat them at once people have them. And how do they do that? Well, what they do is they give rats peanut allergies, or latex allergies, or dairy allergies, and then they give them different treatments and see what works. How do you think that they give a rat a peanut allergy? Here's how they do it. It's formulaic. They take the aluminum adjuvant out of the hepatitis B vaccine that we give to every child in this country the day they're born, and they give them a peanut protein. And that rat will have a peanut allergy for the rest of its life. Or if you give him a dairy protein and the aluminum, he'll have a dairy allergy. If you give him a meat protein, he'll have a meat allergy. Oh, it's not a mystery why our kids have allergies and eczema. We know why. The science that we've had known this science for 100 years. Aluminum adjuvants and vaccines will give you. And not only, and you know, the vaccines have peanut oil excipients. Oh, so you give the kid a peanut oil excipient and the aluminum adjuvant, and they're going to get that. that but not only, not only do they develop allergies to things that are in the vaccine, they develop allergies to things that are in the ambient environment. So, if there happens to be a Timothy wheat outbreak or a cottonwood outbreak the week that your child got that aluminum vaccine, and your child's going to have a Timothy weed outbreak uh, allergy for the rest of his life. And that's why, almost certainly, there's two studies on this, uh, one by Kautzen and um, one by Mowling, you can look up, that shows that children who have who are vaccinated have 30 times the rate of, a, of food allergy, of, of allergic rhinitis, as kids who are unvaccinated, 30 times. It's not a mystery of why. Oh, we had this explosion in chronic disease. Also, autoimmune diseases suddenly appeared. I never knew anybody with diabetes when I was a kid or with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Now they're in every classroom. and we went when tony fauci came into office the rate of chronic disease in this country was six percent in 1968. in 1940 i mean in 1986 hhs did another study and it was 11.8 percent today it's 54 percent oh you know we have the sickest generation in the history of the world and we are the most vaccinated country in the world, and we have the worst health outcomes. We have, high, you know, we have we're like 75 in infant mortality, but all of the indicators for public health, the United States, when I was a kid, was the best. Now we're the worst in the developed world, the top 75 nations. And you know, somebody should be looking into this. And you know, who we hired to do that? In 1968, Tony Fauci. That's his job. His job was to tell us the etiology of all these chronic diseases that are debilitating our kids. And before I get to him, let me... (laughs) 10? Okay, Let me just say one thing. Um, The, you know, actually, let me just go to Tony Fauci. (laughs) I wanted to... I'll say this, that all of those, there's about the Institute of Medicine that says there's about 175 diseases that have become chronic diseases since, you know, since 89. '89. And um, every one of those diseases is listed as a side effect on the vaccine inserts of those four companies. And if you look at the biggest blockbuster drugs they're making, they went, when I was a kid, they were making $187 million a year on vaccines. Today, they're making $60 billion before COVID. and then, uh, But they're making $500 billion selling the treatments to the chronic diseases that are listed as vaccine side effects on their own inserts. Oh, they're selling me, for my kids, the $600 EpiPens, the Albuterol inhalers, the, the Adderall, the Ritalin, the Concerta, the anti-seizure medication, the diabetes medication. You think about it. when I was a kid, you know, I'm a very lucky man, because so I survived measles when I was a kid, <laughs> one of the few. Um, my, me and my ten brothers and sisters all got it together and it was like the best week of our lives as we got <laughs> to skip school and, and watch Leave it to Beaver. And and, um, and what was the cure for measles? What was the treatment? Vitamin A, chicken soup. None of it can be patented. But if you If you give that kid a vaccine and one in 300 get seizures and one in a thousand of them and now have permanent epilepsy, you have a lifetime customer who is, you know, going to make you rich. And the chronic diseases have enriched these companies enormously. So Anthony Fauci's job, and I want to say this in case I get shut off in the middle of it, but if you want to do, if you want to do something good for this movement, go home tonight and sign up for my book on, buy my book, pre-order my book, Anthony, the real Anthony Fauci on Amazon. I don't make any money from it. All the money that's coming to me goes to CHD. Uh, But the important thing is... the important thing is, we need to get that book on the bestseller list. We need to elevate it in the national consciousness. If I can, sell, if I can pre-sell, I think I have about 4,000 pre pre-sold now. If I can sell 10,000, the New York Times has to put it on the top of their bestseller list, which is going to kill them. And I want you to help me do that. Buy your Christmas gifts now. Go and pre-order it. And and what happens is there's a the cascading effect that if we get it to the top of that list, all the bookstores in America then put it in the front of this store, the airplane bookstores all stock it, and there's a there's a there's a feedback loop that gives it more and more prestige and importance and is a really important book because it explains why we are. Why is it that every virologist in the world knows that this coronavirus was laboratory-generated. Everybody knows that. It has what they call a fur and cleave, and everybody knows that could not have evolved naturally. It had to have been inserted artificially or through accelerated evolution. They know that. Every virologist knew that. Why did they keep their mouths shut for a year the entire virology community kept its mouth shut when everybody knew. And when you read Fauci's emails, all of his guys knew it. The second they looked at it, they said, this, could not, this has to be laboratory generated. And then they had all the secret meetings that are all blacked out. And we're going to get those. But I'm going to explain to you who Tony Fauci is. Tony Fauci is, the the idea that he does public health is a polite fiction. He does pharmaceutical sales. He's He's taken his agency, which his agency had a small budget prior to HIV, and their job was to find the source of infectious diseases and chronic diseases and tell us what they are so we can end the exposures. He should have told us, is it coming from glyphosate? We could then ban glyphosate. The only way people survive at that, he's the J. Edgar Hoover of public health. How did he live there for 50 years? And you people, I think Judy Mikovits is here tonight. Bernice, Bernice Eddy, John Anthony Morris, all of these incredible scientists that have been at NIH over the years and have told the truth about the pharmaceutical company, and they've all been run out of the place. Their careers are destroyed. There's locks put on their laboratory doors. They are, their telephones are taken away, and they are discredited in the press and ruined. And that's what happens to them, and it's formulaic. How did a guy last there for 50 years? The only way that you last is by carrying water for the pharmaceutical industry. And what Tony Fauci has done is not only does he not do his job, which is to do that fundamental research, where's autism coming from? Where's the food allergies coming from? And telling us where they're coming from so we can protect ourselves. He does none of that research. He has taken that agency and transformed it into an incubator for the pharmaceutical industry. So what he does is, in his laboratories, he develops new pharmaceutical drugs. And he has the power, and he runs not just NIH Multiple presidents have offered him the job running NIH. He's always said no. Why? Because all of his power comes from that budget. He has a $6.1 billion budget. And it, plus, he gets $1.6 billion from the military, mostly to do bioweapons research, which he calls gain-of-function. And so he gives away, every year, 13 times the amount of money that Bill Gates gives away. He, run, he can ruin any scientist on the globe permanently. He can destroy university medical programs. Here's how it works. He, he, develop, he has a virus in Petri dishes, and he'll have thousands of Petri dishes, let's, let's say coronavirus. He, adds, he has his guys adding molecules to that culture and then seeing if it kills the coronavirus. And if that molecule kills the coronavirus, then he has animals, rats, and guinea pigs, and he'll see if it kills them. And if he can find a molecule that kills the coronavirus, but does not kill the guinea pig, and he'll say, we're going to go to phase one trials, and he hands the molecule off to a PI, principal investigator. There's 10,000 of these people around the world, and they virtually all rely on Tony Fauci. These are the most powerful doctors in the world. They're people like Peter Hotez and Paul Offit and Art Clack Kaplan and Stanley Plotkin and all of these guys you see on CNN who claim to be independent scientists. They're not. They're Tony Fauci's PIs, every single one of them. And what they do is every year, he gives them money. He'll farm a molecule out and say, you develop a drug for this disease, for coronavirus, for." flu, for um, Coxsackie virus, whatever. And then they go through the phase one, phase two, phase three. Phase one, they'll have maybe 40 humans. And Tony Fauci gives them $15,000 apiece for every person that volunteer they recruit to that study. The university keeps half of it. So the university now is scared to death of Tony Fauci. Because all of this money is going to them. Then, if the scientist gets through phase one, phase two, and phase three trials, phase two trials, and goes to phase three, then they bring in the big guns: F- uh, Pfizer, Merck, Glaxo, Johnson and Johnson, AstraZeneca. And they take over the funding of the trial, and Tony Fauci, for his agency, could can take half of the patent. He gives patent rights to his favorite deputies. And like with the Moderna vaccine, he has five of his deputies who are collecting $150,000 a year for life because he, told, he allowed them to take patent interest in the Moderna vaccine. His agency owns half of it. It will make billions on the Moderna vaccine. This is what he does with all of these drugs. And then the university takes a patent interest, so they now have a permanent funding stream. The PI at the university takes a patent interest, and that's why, you know, um, in one, one episode, Paul Offit sold his patent interest to Merck for $186 million. So And then... The, the company takes a patent interest, so now they're all partners. And then Tony Fauci comes back in, and he walks it through the FDA approval process. You know, FDA has panels; they're called, you know, drug-honoring panels or drug approval panels, IRAC, ASIP. And he says he keeps saying on TV, "You listen to him." He says, "Well, it's an independent panel that is approving that." They are all work for him. They're all his PIs. You go look them up. You get the names of the people on those panels. And they may not even disclose their conflict. Some of them do. But if you look up their articles, at the end of the article, it tells who paid for their studies. And you'll see NIAID and Bill Gates on those. And you'll see Pfizer and Glaxo and all the other companies. Those guys work for the cartel. And Fauci runs the cartel. Oh, he has turned that—and I'll tell you something, between 2009 and 2016, FDA approved about 200 new drugs that all came from Tony Fauci's shop. So he is the biggest incubator in the world for the pharmaceutical industry. And let's say you're a scientist at Baylor University or Berkeley or UCLA, a young, up-and-coming epidemiologists and you say you know what i can't find anything in the literature about vaccine about the Hib vaccine or the dtp vaccine and autism i'm going to do a study i'm going to get a hold of kaiser's database and i'm going to look at the people who were vaccinated and what claims they made did they make you know are they do they have an autism diagnosis It's an easy study to do. Anybody can do it. You can do it with machine analysis. It's never been done. Why? Because any scientist that tries to do that, as soon as Tony Fauci finds out about it, which is the moment that that scientist seeks funding from anybody, Tony Fauci, one of his minions, will call the dean of the medical school at Berkeley and say, if you let this clown do this study, I am going to bankrupt you, and he has that control. He has that power, and that's why not a single virologist stepped up this whole year, even though every one of them knew what was happening. Tony Fauci, and Tony Fauci controls his money, which is at seven point six billion. He controls the Pentagon, you know, money and DARPA. And the Pentagon and the CIA put a ton of money in it. Do I have, like, five minutes? No, I have zero. OK. five. <laughs> all right. I'm going to just give you a, a quick history of, kind of, of what, what happened with, um, you know, why this whole thing is so militarized. And, Um, you know, let me begin on my birthday on January 17th, 1961. Dwight Eisenhower makes this the best speech of his career, one of the most important speeches in American history, where he tells the American people, um, the biggest threat to you is not the Soviet Union, it's the military-industrial complex, which is going to subvert American values and democracy and everything in our Constitution if you allow them to continue to grow. And my uncle came into office with that in his head and also a very strong ideology that America cannot be, that imperialism abroad, making us an imperial nation abroad is inconsistent with us having a democracy at home. he fought the military industrial complex for three years, he fired the top three individuals at the CIA who he saw were causing this anti-democratic mischief all over the world, and uh, and, and he opposed the Vietnam War. He refused, despite all the importations from his advisors and all of his friends, that he should put a quarter million people, combat troops, into Vietnam. He refused. He didn't. Sent a single combat trip to Vietnam. He sent 16,000 advisors, which was few of the people, that he sent to the University of Mississippi to get one black man, James Meredith, enrolled. And he died in 63. I believe in that effort. My father ran in 68 against the military, and you know Johnson President Johnson, within six months, had sent a quarter million soldiers there and made Vietnam our war, American war. My father ran against it in 68 and died in that election. The military-industrial complex, we had these roads that we could have taken in our country. One road toward American idealism and values and the other toward complete dominion by you know these very, very dark militaristic and intelligence apparatus. In 1988, the unthinkable happened. The Soviets folded their tents. The Berlin Wall came down. And the American people were told, the Cold War is over. We don't have to spend 50% of our budget On stealth bomber, a billion dollar plane that cannot fly in the rain. We don't have to do that anymore. And all of that money is going to come back to schools, to education, to healthcare, to roads, to bridges, to clean environment, to making our nation the city on the hill, the gleaming alabaster exemplary democracy that America is supposed to be. And we're going to bring all of that that we were fighting back. Well, there were cohorts in this country, the military and intelligence apparatus, who heard about the peace dividend. You remember we were supposed to get the peace dividend? And said, hey, that money's coming out of our pockets. We don't want that to happen. And in 1993, we had the first World Trade Center attack. And that All that money that was headed towards us suddenly hit the brakes and said, we got to spend this on defending our country against Islamic terrorism. And then in 2001, seven years later, the big World Trade Center bombing happened and the bets were off. Well, many of you may not remember, but two weeks, uh, the 9-11 was the World Trade Center attack. But on 10-4, two and a half weeks later, there was an anthrax attack that was sent by mail. It was blamed on Saddam Hussein, and it's one of the reasons that justified the US invasion of Iraq. When the FBI investigation was complete, then we were already at war in Iraq and Afghanistan and all over the place, and it really didn't get much attention. What they said is they had fingerprinted the anthrax, and it came from one of three US Army military labs. It was somebody in the US military were in that group that had made that attack. And by then, we were mass-producing anthrax vaccines and, and, uh, and smallpox vaccines, and all the people and Tony Fauci had stepped into the middle of it. And this is what they call the biosecurity agenda. Because if you think about it, Islamic terrorists was a really good enemy to have. You know, Dick Cheney said, this is going to be a long war. It's going to be generations to be spread across 50 nations. And that military-industrial complex was, yeah. And these guys, this enemy is not going to let us down like the Soviets did by giving up. Because terrorism is not a country. It's a tactic, and you can never get rid of it. So it's a permanent war, which is what they need. Uh, You know what? It's not that great a war, because Islamic terrorism was killing fewer people than lightning every year after 9-11. And they needed something that was going to keep this battle relevant to the average American, something that could come into your home and kill you, and they recognized that from the beginning. And the anthrax attack were the beginning of the biosecurity agenda eclipsing Islamic terrorism as the spear tip of US foreign policy. In 2009, President Obama announced right um, two months before Bill Gates took the stage at the U.N. and announced the decade of vaccines. Obama stood up and announced that biosecurity was now going to be the leading edge of U.S. foreign policy. And that the biosecurity agenda had to be integrated into all American agencies. And, you know, you see all of these things happening now that that you just scratch your head and you say, This whole thing looks planned. And I don't want to be paranoid. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. But how in the heck do they do these simulations? Event 201, Clade X, Dark Winter, Crimson, all of these things that predict, predict. How does Tony Fauci know two years ahead the exact date it's going to start? How, you know how they, by the way, there was no inevitability to a pandemic. You guys should call BS anytime somebody says, Is this what they were all telling us? A pandemic is bound to happen. Well, no, there has been no pandemic since the 1918 flu, and they keep saying that they keep. You know, saying of the 1918 flu. Well, in 2008, Tony Fauci did an article for The Atlantic, I mean, for The Lancet, where he said, guess what? The people who died, the 50 million people who died in 1918, who we've been scaring everybody about, this is about to happen again, they didn't actually die of the flu. They didn't actually die of any virus. They died of bacterial pneumonia and bacterial meningitis. And today, that would be curable in three days with penicillin, which they didn't have then. And we know that pandemics just don't happen in healthy populations, unless you breed something that is specifically designed to kill humans and old people. And so all of this talk that, you know, it's about to come, it's going to happen, you know, it's guaranteed, it's inevitable, that was all just prepping us for something. You know, these, these incredible Nostradamus, Fauci, and, uh, and Gates, you know, <laughs> the kind of soothsaying they were doing with this incredible precision. Well, you know, I'm not saying they released it, but. I'll tell you there. There's a story, uh, and I'll shut up after this. Of a, <laughs> that I heard when I was a kid, and it keeps coming into my head, of a guy who he gets cuckolded by a lion tamer. Oh, he wants to get revenge, but he doesn't really have the gumption for homicide. Oh, he goes to the. He goes to the circus every night, just waiting for the inevitable, which is the lion is going to, you know, bite the guy's head off one night. Right? It happens to most lion tamers, and he he does this for 20 years, and then he gets tired of it, and he sneaks into the lion tamer's house, um, dressing room and he puts pepper on his wig, and that night the lion sneezes and bites his head off. And when I I read about why they, they were growing coronaviruses designed to kill people in a shabby, shoddy, half-built BSL lab in China when Obama ordered him to stop doing it and he shifted it to China and he and the CIA, the USAID, which is the CIA, are, paying, are giving Peter act this shifty grif, you know, grifter, bioweapons grifter, laundering the money through him to pay for these, these experiments that are being done by the Chinese military scientists at the Wuhan lab. And by the way, the, guy, the company that built the Wuhan lab is a French company called Biomiro. This is another coincidence, and nobody knows. I'm telling you this. They were contracted to install a negative airflow system, which is the absolute most critical piece of infrastructure. It it makes sure nothing can go out, all all coming in. They never did it. The CEO of that company was a guy called Stefan Boncel, who today is the CEO of Moderna. It's just another coincidence. Um, and but I think about, okay, they're, they're, they're creating these coronaviruses in this shoddy lab that you know are, are just guaranteed. The reason Obama told him to stop was because so many had escaped from his other labs in this country, and he, he moves it to China. And so to me, I keep thinking that maybe he was peppering the wig because. You know, because the pandemic never bit and he needed to make one bite. But anyway, maybe we'll find out. The U.S. intelligence agencies are now supposedly investigating him, we know, on August 25th. And um, by then, you will have read my book, right? And you'll be ready for whatever answer they give us. Thank you all very much. Thank you very much.
0: He ends this segment talking about Tony Fauci, and I just want you to know, we have a Q&A in our next one, and I ask him to unpack some stuff for us in that Q&A, and then he tells us he is coming out with a new book that you can be a part of in the pre-order of The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and if we can get that number, I told Bobby we're going to give him a shout-out through this week to have those vintage McCoy faithful listeners to uh, get on to Amazon pre-order because if we can bump him beyond 10,000 uh, of pre-orders, then the New York Times bestseller list will have to recognize this book. And you know what they want to bury Bobby and his work and his efforts of what he's doing. So if you want to help get the truth out in an age of censorship, you help Bobby out and we have one more installment of a wonderful program of a QA when people send in their questions and I'm able to moderate that. So see you tomorrow night. Hey guys thanks for watching. For more information head over to vintagemcoycom or follow us on Instagram at the Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.